Good morning. If you're visiting today, I want to especially say hello to you. We are glad you're here. Uh, we are the Crossings Church Collinsville, and uh, as Jake said in the intro, you do have uh, a good... It's good that you came today, because we're having a chili cook-off, crock-pot cook-off, um, and so we're excited about that. This is, for some of us in the room, our favorite day of the year, even more than Christmas. Uh, it's a good day. So um, we are wrapping up a series today uh, called Build that we've been in the last few weeks. The reason for that is we are in the middle of expanding this physical structure here. Uh, we ran out of space for kids some time ago, and so we are, uh, if you haven't been here before, this used to be an old movie theater. Uh, we renovated this central section basically to make way for us to get in here and use this facility, but these two auditoriums on the sides have still not been completed. And so what we're looking at doing is uh, finishing out this space over here. We're adding additional, three additional large children's classrooms, which is going to allow us to expand our children's ministry. Uh, then we will also be flattening eventually the surface over here, uh, making a multi-purpose space. We're looking at uh, adding a playground and doing some stuff outside. Uh, so there's a lot of good things happening uh, that will be worked on incrementally uh, into the future. Uh, but all this stuff takes resources, it takes money, and whenever we are uh, engaging in a project like that, uh, you know, as leaders here, we, we think that's serious business, and so we want to go back and look at the Bible and look at uh, how principles from God kind of guided building projects in the scriptures. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at different building projects in the Bible and kind of the stories around them, but, but deeper, uh, more deeply, we've been looking at the principles uh, behind those building projects just to make sure we're in, a, in, in the right spot with what we're doing. Um, today, we're going to look at the building of the temple, and we're going to look at some principles briefly uh, before we have lunch together today and just some, enjoy some time of fellowship. Uh, we're going to look at some principles there and how we can apply those we are going to have a special contribution on December the 4th for our building campaign, and we will be talking more about that as we move forward. Um, but you've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at on there. There's three elements in every build that God commanded or sanctioned in the Bible. Whenever we look at the Bible and look at these different building projects that are there, first of all, the build would honor God. Uh, we saw this with the tabernacle. We're going to see this with the temple. Any building project you see, uh, even you know, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and Nehemiah, they had it there as their central purpose. The people that were engaged in this, they wanted to honor God with what they were doing. This wasn't about a person. You know, this wasn't like Saul building a monument to himself, which was a big statue of himself. That didn't have honoring God in mind. That wasn't a building project that God sanctioned. That was a building project that Saul sanctioned, right? It was about glorifying him. With all these projects that glorify God or that God uh, sanctions or that God inspires, it's always to honor God. So if we're talking about expanding our facility here, why do we want to do that? Is it to build our brand? Is it to build up a pastor? Is it to build up a move? No, it's to honor God. That's first and foremost. It's, it's to honor God. It's to love God. Secondly, in these builds that, that God inspires or commands, the build always requires a sacrifice from the people. 
Uh, and, and by sacrifice, we just means it, it cost something. It was a giving of something. It was uh, animals. It was possessions. It was treasures. It was something that had to be laid down at the feet of God that was valuable to the people. We see this every time. And repeated in the Bible is this idea that uh, we learn to put God first as we learn to give God the first fruits of everything. And that includes our personal wealth. We show that we're putting God first in our pocketbooks, with the way we spend our money and the way we use our wealth. The purpose of tithing was to learn to put God first. Thirdly, the third principle we see is the building or the build is going to bless people 100% of the time. If God commands it to be built, it's going to bless people. It's, it's going to bring him glory, but it's going to bless people. It's always a giving back. And every great building project in the Bible includes a lot of people being blessed. Now there's a fourth element that we haven't discussed yet, and that that is the build, 100% of the time, when God's involved and he commands a building to be built, the build is going to take a godly leader. There's godly leadership that is required. Now, you guys that uh, aren't familiar with the crossings may not know <clears throat> but we're a church plant. We started this church five years ago, and we have dreams of planting churches all over the Midwest. This is our fourth one here. Next year, we are selecting a team to send somewhere else. Can you guys believe it's already on us? Next year, we're putting a team together between our churches to send to a new place. We're going to be getting you guys, groups of people together, and saying, hey, go get in a van and go research a location for our next church plant. This is going to be something we all get to participate in, where you guys, some of you groups of friends, next year you're going to be traveling like over to Cape Girardeau or, or to some other town to investigate, would this be a good place for us to go plant a church? You guys get to go research colleges and university because, you know, when we plant a church, we always do it around a campus ministry. And so wherever we go, you're going to get to go check that out. You're going to get to pray with, with your friends and your kids and your family and say, God, is this where we should be? And we're going to then get our groups together. We're going to see, uh, you know, we'll probably do it by small group in the church. We're going to pick a location as a church. And then we're going to compete with the other churches that are doing the same thing. Uh, and we're going, to, we're going to, as a group, we're going to figure out where's this next plant going to be. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Why do I bring that up? Because, guys, we're not stopping with this team next year. Two years after that, we're going to plan another church. And so guess what? There's going to be people in this room that are someday going on a church plant somewhere. Can you imagine that? Now, a lot of you kids that grew up in the crossings, you grow up hearing about this stuff. And so you're already thinking, I'm going to maybe go on a church plant when I, when I get to the age that I can. You're already thinking that way. Some of you in here, maybe you haven't thought that before. But here's what's crazy. Some of you guys are going to lead churches. Some of you guys are going to lead churches. Now, all of us in some capacity are going to lead in some capacity. You may lead in your family. You may lead with kids. You may lead with friends. You're going to lead in some way, be it, be it great or small. Some of you guys are going to be church leaders because we're planting churches. Some of you guys are going to be pastors. Some of you guys are going to be campus ministers. Some of you guys are going to be youth ministers. 
Some of you guys are going to be adult ministers. Some of you guys are going to get really, really good at studying the Bible and sharing the gospel with people. Some of you are going to get really good at, at, at answering questions about God that people have. Some of you are going to, you're just going to develop some skills that are going to be to bless people. And God's going to use you in great ways to lead people. And so you may wonder, you know, if I'm not in leadership today, why is this applicable? Well, here's the truth. God wants you to learn to lead people in some capacity. In some capacity. Some are called uh, to, to, to big stages. Some are called to little stages. But all of us in some way are called to learn to lead. And you need to learn to be godly in your leadership. Because the best life you can have is wrapped up in your ability to be close to God. And the, the way you can help others have a great life is to be the type of person who can help them get close to God. And you can only bring people and lead people as far as you've gone yourself. And so if you stay stuck, if you get caught up in the rat race and you don't continue to grow in your relationship with God, you're going to get stuck in a spot where you can't help anybody get past because you're not past it. you got to have people in your life that are going to help you. And, and with these building projects, guys, every single one of them had a leader. And here's the thing with leadership in the Bible. Leadership can be good or bad. In the Bible, it can be good or bad today, right? And a lot of times, if you look at the state of the Israelites or the state of God's people in the scriptures, it had to do with who was up front at the time and who was out in front leading them. You got guys like Jeroboam, you know, one of the kings of Israel that led the whole nation into idolatry and ended up getting God's blessing taken away from the people, where they eventually, the temple we're reading about today, eventually gets torn down and destroyed. Because of a bad leader leading the people away from God. But then you have really good leaders like, like a Josiah or a Joshua or a Moses. These guys that, that live close to God. And they brought the people close to God. And so you have where God's posture toward the people is different depending on the direction of the hearts of the people. And a lot of times the direction of the people depends on the direction the leader's headed. And if that leader is leading them to follow God and honor God... The people generally do that. If he's leading them into idolatry and leading them away from God, the people follow into that. And so you see this correlation between God blessing the people or God punishing the people based on the direction that the leaders were headed. Guys, the Bible says leadership is like a rudder on a ship, right? It's like a little small little rudder. You just you, you move that rudder just a little bit, but man, it turns the whole ship. It's so important. You want to know... That leadership is so important. Satan really gets after leaders. He really gets after them. Because if he can knock the leader off, guys, he can knock the whole course off. We want to make sure, as we are engaging in this building project, guys, that we are moving in the right direction. That we are honoring God. That we are truly putting God first. Because there's some great consequences. Mike, go ahead and uh, read First Chronicles 28, 4 through 10, and we're going to jump into this lesson today. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord. For the footstool, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. 
Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king, to be king over Israel forever. He chose, he chose Judah as leader, and from the tribe of Judah he chose my family. And from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king all over Israel. Of my sons, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many. He chose my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom and the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, he is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws, as is being done at this time. So now I will charge you in the sight of all Israel and all the assembly of the Lord, in the hearing of our God. Be careful to follow all the commands of your Lord, and that you may possess the good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father, and serve him with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Guys, this is God speaking through David to Solomon. And he pretty much just says, God says, if you stay near to me, I'm going to be near to you. If you stay near to me, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to bless your descendants. If you walk away from me, if you forsake me, I will not. The opposite is what you're going to get. But stay near to me. And so David is, is instructing his son here because David knows Solomon is about to inherit this mantle of leadership that, he's, that is being passed down. And godly leadership isn't about a person's position. It's about their example. It's about their character. It's not about office. It's about character. And guys, honestly, when we're talking about leadership and influence, nobody cares what your office is. They care whether you care about them or not. You know, sometimes people will come and, and join the church here, and uh, if they come from a religious background and know some Bible verses, they may think that they're going to become a leader in the church very quickly. And the truth is, that's not going to happen. Because leadership isn't based on even Bible knowledge, guys. Leadership is based on relationship. Influence is based on relationship. If you are relationally shallow, if you can't get close to people, you, you are not spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity is measured in your ability to connect with people, period. If you are closed off and if you do this through life, you're a spiritually immature person and you're not going to influence anybody unless it's for them to not be like you. Because you're not going to have a relationship with anybody. You have no capital with anybody. But if you can get close, guys, if you can get close to people where they can see your example and see your character as you deal through uh, with hard stuff in life, like that's where a person's character really comes out. It's not when everything is great. It's when things are not great. It's when things are hard. It's when adversity is hitting you. And you're, you know, that's honestly, that's also when you're tempted to be closed off and to run away. 
That's what a spiritually immature person will do, is they'll run away. But leadership is based on character and example, and it's relational. And it, guys, the, the power doesn't come from the office. It comes from, it comes from the character. Paul understood this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, follow my example just as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. And if you go study the letters of Paul, you'll see over and over, especially if you read like 1 Thessalonians, He's referring to, uh, he uses the phrase, you know how I was among you. You know how I lived among you. You know how I worked hard. You know how I loved hard. You know how I was a good friend. He uses that phrase, you know, over and over and over. And he refers to his example. And that's something he does frequently. How many of you are freaked out by the idea of referring to your example to teach somebody? You guys are liars. Um, follow me as I follow Christ. Guys, that's how you teach someone. If you want to teach someone how to follow Jesus, say, hey, come over here and hang out with me and, and just do what I do. How many of you would be confident in doing that? Some of you would, and it would be overconfidence. But seriously, this is, this is the example that we have in, in Scripture. That's what discipling is. It's, hey, come over here and follow me as I'm following Jesus. That's what Paul said. This is the example we have from Scripture. He also said for his people that he was discipling to do this. Timothy is a guy that Paul trained for ministry, and Timothy was a young preacher. Uh, man, being a young preacher is a hard spot to be in, just FYI. Uh, back when I first started, it is really hard when you feel like you've got a message from the Lord for 70 and 80 year olds and you get up and uh, the first church that I started out in was in California. It was a long time ago and it was mostly older folks and they were real polite. But I just, you know, you, you know how whenever you're talking to somebody and you just know they think you're full of crap? You ever, okay. Imagine being on a stage talking to a group of people and they all are giving you that look. You know what I mean? That's what it's like to be a young preacher. Um, it's just not a great place to be. Paul's writing to Timothy here, and he says, uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. If you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. Look at how important that is, that example. You will save both yourself and your hearers. He's telling them, practice what you preach. If you're going to get up and proclaim to be a spiritual leader, you need to practice what you preach. What's true in the church God's expectations for leadership is true here in this situation with uh, the temple, the character portion of that. Uh, God's expectation is that these people that are leading this charge are to be close to me. Now, um, if you want to research this more, 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, 1 Kings uh, chapters 5 through 8, those are kind of the sections that talk about the building of the temple. This is the largest building project recorded in the Bible. Um, there were 30,000 people working on this temple 24-7. Uh, and they worked in shifts. So there would be 10,000 would work, and then another 10,000, and then another 10,000, 24-7 for seven years. And that's just the people that were on the temple site. So you're talking about a huge project. There were 80,000 people swinging pickaxes, cutting stone for this project the whole time at the quarry. There were 70,000 that, as they were cutting the stone, that were carrying the rock 
back to the temple site. So in total, uh, I think there were 3,300 supervisors. There were like 183,000 people working on this building project for seven years. Seven years, man, 183,000. That's huge. They cut enough timber. If you laid it end to end, it would have wrapped around the world 14 times for this, for this project. This was a huge, huge undertaking. And it was magnificent what they built with this cut stone. Uh, they took this rock. They overlaid everything just about in gold in this whole temple. And, and, and they had some amazing artists come in and just create some amazing stuff that went on the inside. They, they carved uh, like these big angels out of cedar uh, that had these wings that spread across the whole thing and like the, the tips of the wings touched. And so when you walk in, you see all these angels and they overlaid everything in gold, remember? And so you walk in and, and, and there's this scene of like the sea and there's this altar. All these, there were like 400 like carved uh, flowers that were open that were all overlaid in gold. It was just amazing to walk into. And the whole point of all that was to help people understand this was a place where you could connect with God. Because they literally taught, and God literally lived, was going to live in this temple. In a temple, man. And this was going to be a place of repentance. This was going to be a place where if you felt far from God, you can come here and you can get right with him. It was, it was all to help people connect to him. And, man, they didn't use any heavy equipment for this thing. Like, the whole thing was built with, by hand and hand tools and, and, like, working together. There's not a single indication that there were any major problems with, with this construction over seven years. There's no record of it. That tells me this, this really had some good leaders. This project really had some good leaders involved in it. Um, and so, the principles that I'd like us to think about today... Um, why should, when should we follow leadership? When should we look to leadership? Well, I should gladly follow leaders who, number one, maintain glorifying God as their primary purpose. Again, this is character. You say, how do I determine what leaders I should follow in life? Do they maintain glorifying God as their primary purpose in life? <clears throat> David's motive for building the temple was genuinely to bring glory to God and to help people connect to God. Now, he initially is the one that had this dream for this thing. God actually says, you're not going to do that. You've got blood on your hands. We're going to let your son do that instead. Um, but, but his whole motive for wanting to do it to begin with was to glorify God. It says in 2 Samuel 7, Then one day King David said to Nathan the prophet, Look at this, here I am, comfortable in, the luxurious house, in a luxurious house of cedar, and the chest of God sits in a plain tent. It's referring to the Ark of the Covenant. Nathan told the king, Whatever's on your heart, go and do it. God is with you. Now Nathan said that before he actually went and inquired of God, because we learn a little bit later in the story, this was not God's will. Um, but, but look at uh, when Solomon recounts David's motive for building the temple in 1 Kings 8. It says, My father David had it in his heart to build a temple honoring the name of God, the God of Israel. But God told him, It was good that you wanted to build a temple in my honor, most commendable, but you are not the one to do it. Your son will build it to honor my name. Now notice there, God acknowledges that this is to honor him. You know, that your, your motive here is to honor him. A building project that aims to honor God 
from the get-go is, is one that God can bless. But whenever your motives get in there, uh, where it's about something else, if it's about building yourself up, if it's about looking good, if it's about uh, looking busy, if it's about whatever, uh, if it's something other than honoring God, then your heart's in the wrong place. And so as we look at building here, we need to make sure as a congregation that our heart's in the right place, where it's not just about us. It's not a look at me moment, right? We want to honor God and help people connect to God. Amen? That's where our hearts have got to be. Secondly, I should gladly follow leaders who, number two, set the pace in personal sacrifice. Who set the pace in personal sacrifice. It says in 1 Chronicles 29, this is David, he says, I've tried to help him as much as I can by providing gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stones in abundance to use in my God's temple. Furthermore, I will give my own gold and silver treasures in addition to the materials I've provided for the construction to the temple because of my delight in the house of God. These gifts include 110 tons of gold, uh, 260 tons of refined silver, five more uh, gold and more silver as, as needed. So he personally gives about $5 billion worth of his personal wealth, which is crazy. That's a lot of money, right? He just gives it to build the temple. Why? Because he believes in it. We looked last week. Uh, and how the people gave generously whenever the, the construction of the tabernacle took place. And, and to the point where Moses was like, hey, quit, quit giving. You guys stop because we, we, got, we got enough here, right? Um, David is more than willing. And there's, you know, we talked a week or two ago, too, about the time he had the friends go grab the well water. And then he just poured it out, right? Or the time he was going to go after the battle, make sacrifices, and the, and the farmer that he offered to buy the livestock from for the sacrifices was like, well, no, you're the king, I'm a fan, just let me give it to you. And David says, I'm not going to make a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. Like, he understood that I need to give for me. Like, I'm putting God first, and this needs to hurt a little, it needs to sting a little. You know, we, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, just to remind you guys, the tithe is not commanded in the New Testament. It's affirmed, like it's not a bad thing. It was commanded for these, for these people in the Old Testament. Like if you didn't tithe, you were sinning. If you didn't tithe at the temple, you were breaking a commandment. We don't have a commandment like that in the New Testament. What we have in the New Testament is the commandment to be generous. And you say, what does it mean to be generous? And I say, well, it's got to sting a little. Right? I'm not being generous if it doesn't sting a little. You got the, the story of the widow's mite? That lady who's, who's going and she's just given the one penny that she has. And then there's this rich guy that comes in and makes a big to-do of giving $100,000, but he's got like hundreds of millions. So it wasn't any big deal for him to give $100,000, but for her, man, she's given her one penny. Jesus looks at the, at the two and says one is more generous than the other. It doesn't have to do with the amount. It has to do with the cost. You know, and for some of us, a tithe is, you can't even do a tithe. Like, I, I think that's a good starting point. Some of you are like, that's, too, that's setting the bar too high for my situation. But then others of us, a tithe is nothing. Like, you, you don't even feel it. 
You know what I mean? You can do more than that. Like, and guys, that's the situation that I'm in. I can do more than that, and, and we do. Which, by the way, I don't take a salary from this church. I'm here as a volunteer. I own, I own a business that does pretty well, um, but we only have one staff person that's actually paid through the contributions that we take here at the, at the church. Um, so just know, if, you're, if you don't know that, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm a giver. When I talk about giving, and I get up here and preach out of the, you know, and talk about this topic, I don't stand up here as one that's getting any of this, okay? So just know where my heart is in this. We're just here to, you know, my family, we, we're blessed to be able to give. But a tithe is just a starting point for us. We're to the point where we can do more than that. And I don't feel like I'm being generous unless it stings a little. You know what I mean? And that's the command. It's to be generous. Um, leaders need to set the pace in that. That was what was expected in the scripture. And guys, anytime we've done a building campaign here, one of the things that has been so cool, before I was on staff at the crossings, I was just a member. And one of the things that I thought was so cool when we were at the congregation across the river before we planted this church was anytime we would be getting ready to plan a church or send a team out, we would do a big building campaign. <clears throat> and it was so cool because the leaders would always say first what they were going to do, and then they would just throw it out to the church and be like, here's what our leaders have pledged to give for this new church plant. Here's the amount that we have raised. And it was always a really big amount. And it's crazy because these aren't real wealthy people. Like, we know them, right? They're not rich. Uh, but they would be very generous, and they would put that out to the congregation as just kind of a, hey, what do you got? Here's what we're going to do. What are you guys going to do? But they would set the pace in that. And so we've kind of adopted that here as well, where uh, when we started talking about expanding this building, well, our leaders got together. We said, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then we had a congregational meeting, and we kind of threw this out to you guys. And, man, it was so cool, though, to see the, the, the response on both sides, like what the leaders were willing to do, but then how the congregation responded. You guys are just great. Every time we bring anything like this up, it's been really, really encouraging. But I love that because the leaders are called to set the pace. Uh, in 1 Peter 5, it says, When you shepherd or lead a flock that God has given you, don't lead them as if you were a dictator, but lead by example. Lead by example. You see this all through the scripture. And that's, that's something, honestly, guys, that was modeled by Jesus Christ. When we talk about leading by example, to be a Christian, just the word Christian just means little Christ, little Jesus. It, was, it started out, that phrase, there, that word, was a derogatory word that the Romans came up with to make fun of the disciples. You're just like a little Jesus. But they liked it so much, they were like, you know what? We know you mean that as an insult, but we actually like that because we are just trying to be a little Jesus. And so they adopted it. That's where the phrase, or the word Christian, it's where it came from. It started out as an insult, but the people were like, no, we, we want to be a little Jesus. Because they understood Jesus was setting an example for them in life. And when you talk about personal sacrifice, guys, Jesus doesn't call us to do anything that he didn't model for us. He's God, 
And he came into the world and made himself a man and died on a cross for us. In Philippians 2, 3 through 11, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is part of a hymn. Whenever you look in your Bible and see that indention, this was a hymn that the early church sang that talked about Jesus giving up everything, giving up his power, giving up his seat in heaven to come into the world as a man and to be subjected to death, even though he had authority over it. This is something that we celebrate in communion every week. We remember that the body of Jesus was broken. We remember that the blood of Jesus was spilled. And guys, looking to the cross is a reminder to us that this is how great God's love is for us. This is how great God's uh, power is that he's able to, to do this and overcome death. It's also a challenge to me and my selfishness when I don't want to lay myself out for the sake of others when I don't want to give myself up for the sake of others, when I don't want to be uncomfortable, man, when I look at that cross, it just challenges, the, challenges me to my core. That that's not what he was like. He modeled this for me. I need to model this for others. His example is one of complete and total selflessness. Let's pray and remember that as we take communion today. God, I want to thank you for your body that was broken for us. I want to thank you for your blood that was spilled for us. God, I pray uh, as we take communion today, we will remember that it was love that kept you on that cross and it's selflessness that kept you on that cross. Help us to be loving and selfless like you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thirdly, I should follow leaders who are motivated by the grace of God. I should gladly follow leaders who are motivated by the grace of God. And what I mean is they're not generous because they have to. It's because God told me to. It's they, they get to. They're generous because they want to. Whenever you're really grateful for what you've got, it's easy to be generous. When you stop being grateful, when you start thinking that you're something special or that whatever you've got is because you're so strong or you work so hard and you just fail to acknowledge God in your life, uh, that's when you can get stingy with what you've got. That's when you can be the opposite of generous. And all the word grace means, it's kind of a church word, like you may not use it in everyday language, uh, but grace just means gift. It just means something you were given. It means you were given a gift. When I'm mindful of God's grace in my life, it just means I'm mindful of God's gifts in my life. I'm mindful of God's goodness and all the good stuff he's given me. 
Um, David recognized the grace of God in his life. In 1 Chronicles 29, uh, 14 through 17, he says, But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? He's talking to God. Who are we that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Uh, we're here for a moment, visitors and strangers. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow. Gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even this material we've gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I've done all this with good motives and I've watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. So he pretty much just says here, man, who are we to give you anything? God, everything we've got comes from you anyway. If I've got money, it's because you let me have it. If I've got anything good, if I've got a talent, it's because you gave it to me. I'm just giving it back to you. That's it. Even this stones and stuff we're building this temple out of. You made them all. Like, who are we to give you anything? He's just kind of in wonder that, that God will even accept anything from him. And then you know, you better have your heart right if you say something like, uh, in a prayer, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know that I've done all this with good motives. Now, this is David praying to God. And he's like, God, you know, you know my heart. You know my heart's in the right place. I'm just, I'm doing this to glorify you. This is a man of integrity where he's able to stand in prayer and say, God, search my heart. You know I'm doing this for the right reasons. And we see, guys, that this is, a, this is something that God just pours his blessings out on this guy. And the reason he does it is because of his heart, the state of his heart. Are you in a spot in your life where you can pray a prayer like this before God about what we're doing? What we're trying to do? Guys, some of you guys in here have really big dreams. Some of you got some really big dreams. You've got big dreams for the Lord, man, and what God's going to do with your life. And then some of you guys in here, you don't dream enough. And I just want to invite you to dream a little bit. Like how many people do you know, if you've been coming to the crossings for a while, if you rub elbows with this church and the other churches that we've planted, how many stories have come out of these churches of people getting their lives together for the first time? When things have fallen apart, man, there are people that have been steeped in addiction, or families that are on the verge of just breaking up, or marriages that had failed, or kids that are growing up without any, anybody to really look up to that's going to be healthy for them, or cycles of abuse that are, that are getting stopped, man, addictions that people are overcoming. How many stories have come out of just the congregations that were wrapped up in here? And what we're trying to do, guys, is to bring God's goodness and God's light into a very dark world. And, and it gets messy when you get in and start helping people with their situations in life. It gets messy. But we're seeing God do amazing things in the lives of people. How many of you dream about that? And dream about that expanding? And, and guys, the churches we're going to plan in the future... Do you dream about the names and the faces of those people that God is going to bless as a result of that? Guys, the lives that are going to be changed for the better. Do you dream about that? 
And can you stand before God and say, God, I'm giving myself to this. I'm giving my talents to this. I'm giving my resources to this. And my motive in doing it is just to bless people. I just want to love you. I want to honor you and I want to bless people. Can you stand before God and say that today? God wants you to dream big. And God wants you to dream broadly. And God wants to bless people. And God wants to use you as the avenue for blessing. And what you will learn as you become a conduit for God's glory, as he works through you and through your life and through your story and a lot of times through your hurts and through your brokenness to bless others, you will become that more perfect version of yourself that God always intended for you to be. There's a person that God created you to be. There are things that God created you to do. And he created you to do it with the help of other people that are also pursuing him with their whole hearts. That's the way God designed your life to work. And the way you can have the very best life possible is to run full speed ahead toward him. And then, you know, just be, be with the group that's running toward him, man. He's got a monopoly on good. He's got a monopoly on blessing. He's got a monopoly on grace. Run toward him. And as you do, you will find the best life. You will find the best life because it's a life that's full of God's grace. David remembered where he came from. In Psalm 78, he chose David to be a servant. This is Asaph writing. He chose David to be a servant, took him from the sheep pens, brought him from tending the sheep so he could lead the flock. The people knew David was at one time just a shepherd boy. Whenever David is worshiping God, he remembers where God had brought him from. He used to just be a little shepherd boy. God made him the king of Israel. He used to just be a little shepherd boy smelling the stinky sheep all day. Now he's the king of Israel, right? He's grateful for God's grace in his life. And when you're extremely grateful, you can be extremely generous. That's why we see him give $5 billion worth of his own personal wealth to this temple. And Paul had this same attitude in 1 Corinthians 15.10. We'll close with this. Paul says, I am who I am because of God's grace. And the grace he offered me has not been wasted. I have worked harder than all the rest, but I realize it's not me. It is God's grace with me that has made the difference. Guys, this is Paul's attitude. Is it's, it's not me, it's God. And he's such a grateful man He's extremely generous because of his gratefulness. He was generous with his personal possessions, but guys, he was generous with himself. This is a guy who put himself in very uncomfortable situations. He put himself in dangerous situations if it meant he could reach somebody. But it's because he was so grateful for all the stuff God had given him. He was grateful for God's grace in his life. And when you're mindful of God's grace, it helps you be selfless. When you take God's grace for granted, it allows you to be selfish. If you struggle with selfishness, you need to look and say, what is, where has God led me from? 
You need to remember maybe where you used to be. To remember, man, this is, this is God's grace at work in my life. That's the key to generosity, is, is gratefulness. Are you grateful for what God has given you? Or do you kind of just thumb your nose at it and not think about it? That's the difference. Uh, guys, we're going to close out today. Um, but I want us to make sure that our hearts are right, um, which we were talking about money today, guys. We don't typically talk about money uh, unless it's to say, like, if you're visiting, don't, please don't feel obligated to give. We did not get you here to get money from you. Uh, but we do need to look at these things from time to time because the Bible says a lot about it. And the truth is, uh, God wants us to learn to put him first in all things when we're his disciples. We will be having a special contribution on December the 4th. Uh, I would love for you guys to give very generously to that. Uh, we're trying to raise in that one day at least 36000 bucks. That's pretty much going to cover some of the initial cost of uh, our construction. Uh, shouldn't be any, any big deal for us here. Uh, so I just want to encourage you guys to give. Again, if you're visiting, we are not asking you to give, okay? Um, if you want to, that's fine. But we didn't, seriously, we didn't get you here for that. This is, this is really for our church members. But we do want to give you something. And what we would like to give you is, is help in any way we can do so to help you connect to God, whatever you might need. Um, for everybody here, guys, there's in your bulletin a cardstock piece of paper. It's a communication card. I want to invite everyone to pull that out, uh, member and guest alike. And I would like to invite you to respond this morning. Um, we need to know, guys, if there's anything you'd like prayer for, we would love to know that. If you're investigating a relationship with God and would like to talk with someone about that, we would love to speak with you. If you've got questions, we would love to help you get answers. If there's anything we offer uh, in terms of counseling or support groups or uh, anything like that, we are happy to. You can kind of look through that card and see everything that we offer. Uh, we are a church of small groups. Um, we require small group participation for membership here. Uh, we've got groups that meet on Sundays. Uh, we've got discipleship groups. Uh, if people do not participate in small groups, we actually don't consider you a church member. Uh, we require that for membership because you will not grow spiritually on your own. Uh, we weren't designed to do that. And so we need community. And in a place like this country where we tend to be very individualistic, we kind of have to say that. <laughs> Otherwise, people uh, will stay disconnected and think just coming to church and listening to a sermon is church. It's really not. Uh, church is about relationships. It's, it's a relational thing. Discipleship and growing spiritually is there's some things you can do by yourself to help with that. But honestly, most of that is not done in isolation. Uh, if you just look at the ministry of Jesus, that's not how he operated. And so we try we try to operate uh, as best we can just from the example we see in the scriptures here. And so that's why we heavily emphasize our small group ministry. If you'd like to learn more about that, uh, just indicate that on your card. Uh, we would love to get you connected and get you plugged in. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing one more song after my prayer. Uh, or uh, During that song, you'll, you'll be able to fill that card out. Then we'll sing a, a final closing song after that. Uh, and we'll pass some baskets, and you can drop your card in that basket. I'm going to pray and bless the food as well. 
Uh, so after we are done, just as quickly as we can get set up out there, um, they will tell us to go. And I think it's raining outside, so we're going to try to keep everything inside. Um, we'll, we may give you some more instructions here in a minute. But I do want to invite everybody to stay and eat uh, and vote for my chili because it's the best. So, All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for today. Um, I want to pray as we close our uh, service today. And as we gear up for this building campaign, uh, man, I've been just thinking about the people that we're going to be able to serve in the community um, because of the blessing of space. Uh, I think about all the different activities and games and laughter and kids running around. And, you know, I just picture that uh, and I get excited about it. Um, God, I want to pray that our hearts be in the right place uh, in all of this. Uh, I pray that we will seek you first and foremost in our lives. Uh, if there's anything that is holding us back uh, from fully being devoted to you, God, help us to get that out of our lives. Uh, help us to be graceful to one another, to be forgiving and kind, uh, but also to be bold, Lord, and to call people to repentance uh, and to call people to, to honor you uh, with their decisions. But help us model humility, Lord. Uh, we love you. Thank you for the food we're going to enjoy. We pray you bless it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.